There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry! Scoops! Corey Perry! Oh, yeah. Able to take away with Solani. It's giving away to Solani. Around in front. Score! Tamu Solani with the steal! Three So I just feel that given certain life choices you've made recently, (laughs) that like part of me is like super proud of you and part of me is like super sad because like this life isn't fun. It's not, it's not great. I don't want anybody to suffer through this life like I have. But at the same time, when it hits, it's the ultimate long shot. And when these stupid idiots figure it out, you're going to be so happy you chose the Clippers. I know. <sighs> I know. For, for backstory, well, anyway, welcome back to the show. Um, we're finally back after a couple of months. Before backstory to that, I finally decided on an NBA team. I, I, I haven't – now, I know before everybody – gets into this and any Canadian fans that we have. I know I should be rooting for the Raptors. And I've I've tried. To my credit, I have given it my all and I've tried. But I just haven't been able to do it. like I can, I also can't like support the Blue Jays. I don't know why. Like there's just something about it being the token Canadian team and the only Canadian team in the sport where I just feel like I can't do it. Like I just can't get behind yeah. it. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, and in baseball, I finally randomly settled on the White, the White Sox. Um, and I don't really watch a lot of Great baseball. Hat. But um, for the NBA, An absolutely elite hat, though, yeah, if we're being honest. Which really, for baseball, is what Part you, of my you reasoning need. Is just well. a good baseball it hat. It's a good hat. And uh, just... settled on that. And then um, I've always been partial to the Clippers. But never could it, like I you know for for a while I was thinking okay maybe Memphis because they had a few Canadian mm-hmm. guys and then when Jaw got there I was like I like Jaw and now I hate Dylan Brooks so <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that one kind of devolved quickly um, and I just couldn't get behind another team but I've always been a big big PG fan and I like Russ and then Russ landed with the Clippers and you know I give give Kawhi some credit for the the championship he he brought to Toronto basically single handedly, uh, with some help from the Warriors injuries. Uh, I settled on the Clippers. 
and uh, I'm ready for disappointment. Oh, it's the best, man. It's so much fun. Like, <laughs> I, I like. I like. I, I looked at the is, roster too. It's absurd. It's like maybe two I mean, or three look, more years of this, and then it's we're into the rebuild. <laughs> yeah, we're into a rebuild. So I'm. And here's here's the thing about it that I feel. I, I think you might be the only other person I feel badly for for this than myself because I'm very much throwing a pity party over this probably for the rest of my life. It does suck <clears throat> that you're rooting for the team that traded away the best young Canadian yeah. basketball player. Yeah. That does hurt. I tried OKC too, but there was just something about it I couldn't. I couldn't you can't do that. Because like Lou Dort and Shea are both Canadian. Oh, Lou Dort's Canadian? Yeah, he's from Montreal. Oh. Oh, yeah, so it's not exactly not exactly the same thing, but yeah, no, tried tried a few teams and uh, couldn't get behind it, but settled on the Clippers. So we'll we'll see how it goes. And God, I hope they sign Russ to a max extension immediately. <laughs> I love him so much. Like I was so in on him coming to the Clippers, honestly, because to me it was just like fuck it, this can't get worse. So let's just get weirder. Like it was totally for the meme because like. Yeah. I thought he was cooked. He wasn't, you know, having a lot of success with the Lakers and all that. And he came into L.A. and he did the one thing that, you know, I think you're really asking him to do, which is be available all the time and to be a guy guys like playing with. Like, he provides personality. I love PG and I love Kawhi. But those two dudes are not. Kawhi is the opposite of personality. <laughs> yeah, Kawhi, yeah, Kawhi's a robot, yeah. and it's wonderful. But like PG is just more kind of like ha ha ha, have fun, kind of chill. He's in but the like, middle. Russ yeah, is, he's, he's in the yeah. middle. Russ, is, in the Russ middle. is just all raw, you know, emotion and charisma and all that stuff. And so to have somebody who can actually kind of you know, because like it's weird, because like the Clippers roster is really good. This is a basketball podcast now. The Clippers roster is really good in a supporting sense, but it's completely useless without you know one or two guys to build it all around. And at least Russ functionally yeah. can provide that kind of yeah. presence, even if not. He did everything he could kind to, of play. To, hold, to try and hold it on, but after Kawhi went down in Game Two, yeah, it was done. It was done. Yeah. Done. That was it. Then you find out it was a torn meniscus. But come on, man. Yeah. Well, from uh, we gotta move from one one struggling team to another uh, to the Ducks. <coughs> I know we're delayed here, so we're I guess we're in season review time um, after missing uh, a few months of shows. I, heads up, apologies for that, guys. Uh, dealing dealing with some stuff personally here, so took a took a break from the show, but. Uh, probably, you probably. can just tell them. You can just tell them you're suing me for libel because <laughs> of the book I published in uh, the Czech Republic called Eddie Von Who, and it's about why you're a fraud. So I was going to say been having uh, to sort out those legal troubles. Pat and, and Jay escaped from our basement, <laughs> and we've spent the last two months trying to hunt them down. So. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like the purge. But let's be honest. If there was a time and an and a end to a season to probably skip, um, this would be it. It was an exciting end to the season on the opposite end of the spectrum, right, where came down to the last game and everybody in Team Tank was rooting for a regulation loss against the Kings because 
there was a flurry of, of Ducks fans that were getting upset that the Ducks were winning games and pulling themselves out of contention. And for a little bit there, it seemed like they had no chance of finishing last. And then the Blackhawks rattled off a couple wins. I think the, the Blue Jackets won like three in a row to end the season. And, they won over Pittsburgh, too. They won some games over a couple yeah. teams. Yeah, they had a hard a hard end to the season with their schedule, but like Pittsburgh just kind of fell off and ended up missing the playoffs, and the tires deflated there, and the Ducks just lost enough games, especially the last one there, to just just edge it out, just squeak it out for the best odds. So, ended up finishing thirty second in the NHL, thirty first worst offense, two point five one goals per game, the worst goals against average at four point zero nine, second worst power play at fifteen point seven two percent, and the second worst penalty kill at seventy two point one percent. So. All in all, your thoughts on the season. Quick summary. Is this worse or better than you expected them to be or right kind of in the middle? Uh, I think... I think the results were worse than I expected them to be a little bit. Like, you know, I was pretty down on this team. But, like, with how hard Arizona and Chicago, among other teams, were really going into it, I figured they would probably end up similar to where they were for, I guess, maybe closer to, you know, Jamie Treesdale as far as, like, uh, that sixth spot. I figured they'd kind of end up in that four, five, six range. And then you just hope for a little bit of lottery luck, right? Um, But as far as, like, the quality of play, this is about what I expected, like, you said it right now and I hadn't really thought about it, but like, yeah, that definitely felt like a season where they gave up four goals a game. Yeah. Like, like, and I think that fact thinking about it <clears throat> is one of the more illuminating kind of statistics to take away from the season is like, it felt like they gave up four goals every fucking game. Like it, it felt every bit of the rough season that it was. Yeah. And, and the numbers really just validate that. Sorry. No, no. I was going to say, like, we expected, like, I think in our season preview, trying to remember back, we talked about it being like an all gas, no breaks type season where we knew the defense was going to be bad and they would be among the worst in that. And it would come down to can the goaltending kind of offset that a little bit. And at times it did. And. Special teams, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, and the penalty kill, which were both awful. So then it was, okay, is the offense going to be at least decent enough that you'll win a few games, you'll, you know, you'll outscore a couple teams, you'll, you'll get in those shootout-type games? It, it wasn't. But when you look at, like, the final numbers for this team and where guys finished in points, like, there isn't really anything that stands out and says, oh, that was amazing, or guys that you look at and say, uh, well, like, you know, that's a surprise that he did that bad. There really aren't too many shocks there. Like, Zegris and Terry leading the team in scoring by a significant margin makes sense. Cam Fowler is a bit of a surprise for having 48 points, but when they don't really have anybody else at the blue line and the fact that with Klingberg struggling, he kind of took over some power play duties, so he did have a, a decent amount of power play points on the season too. McTavish had a good rookie season. Vitrano and Strom were kind of what you expected, right? Vitrano, 20, point, 20 goals, 40-plus 40 points. Strom around that 40-plus point mark. You know, Henrique again, 20 goals, almost 40 points. So, like, everybody was kind of right around where you, you expected them to be. Silverberg, even through injuries, around what you expect him to be now. Maybe the one disappointment, in a sense, is John Klingberg not producing 
and being the power play quarterback you thought he would be. But like looking at the list, we listed the top 19 guys in our notes here. Like nobody, for me at least, stands out and says, oh, that's super disappointing or that's way above what we expected them to do. Um, I would say, so the one for me, I will say is Isaac Lindstrom. I think you would have liked to see him closer to 10 and 20. Yeah. And he still missed 21 games and that's not nothing, but I think you, you know, four goals, 10 assists in 61 games. Um, only two penalty minutes, you know, three of his goals were even strength. One of them was shorthanded, you know, so like he's, he's doing the stuff that you really kind of expect him to do, right? He's not taking bad penalties. He's not really taking penalties at all. Um, you know, he's playing on the penalty kill. He's, he's able to be, you know, an aggressive checking skater. Um, but I think especially after the year he had last year, there was always going to be a little bit of a letdown in his numbers, but it would have been nice, I think, to see him finish closer to 10 or 20. And then I'm actually curious how you feel. For me, like, I don't know how to feel about the Ryan Strom thing. I kind of feel disappointed, but I'm not 100% sure how fair that is. Yeah. So, like, I really am kind of curious what your thoughts are on that. I don't know how to contextualize Ryan Strom. Yeah, it, it's it's slightly disappointing because it was like it was labeled maybe unfairly so as like a marquee signing, right? Like it was a big deal. They mm-hmm. brought him in to kind of replace what you're losing in a sense in Ryan Getzlaff. I think it's it's at the very bottom of his his production is at the very bottom of it. You know, just not being disappointing like I think it's it's dumb to say because it's only two points but if he was under 40 I would have been looking at this maybe a little different just visually mm-hmm. um yeah I think if it was over 50 then you're looking at this as a massive success for him to get to that point so he is kind of like right in the, the cusp there of being a disappointment um, the fact that Vitrano had you know the same amount of points more goals than him um, one one less game played. I think that's a bit more surprising because that's what you expected. And that's I think the high end of what you wanted from Vitrano was twenty plus goals and forty points. So that was a, a success. Like that worked out well for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas no, I... yeah. Whereas with Strom, it's like okay, it was, it's good, but it's at very close to not being good. If that makes sense. Here, I, yeah, absolutely. I think the thing about it for me, especially with Strom is I would have liked to see him hit 30 assists. Yeah. I think that's the part of it for me that, you know, once I became a bit more familiar, once I saw him play and saw how much he is a natural playmaker, right? Like, you know, he definitely is a guy who's looking to make good, clean passes and stuff like that. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think he could have finished under 10 goals, but if he'd have finished over 30 assists, I would feel a little bit more I, – I think I would feel a fair bit differently about the season. Um, I also think at this point it's kind of fair to say he's not likely a center on this team unless it's in a third-line role. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think as a complimentary top six winger, I think he can be very interesting. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of, you know, kind of curious where, 
I guess where you're you're at on the Strom thing, and like you said, if it's weird that two points could make that big of a difference in your perception, but I think you're right. You know, I think it, it was like 15 and 26 is along the lines of the splits that you're accepting, right? Because that's almost a two to one yeah. assist ratio, right? So like that's that's exactly what you're kind of hoping for from him. But I think that's actually what you said. That's the best. The, the best little bit is, and I, I think makes a lot of sense to me he kind of came in with some unfair expectations because the team overperformed and got so much good luck early last year that people thought they could be a little bit more competitive. And then he was brought in very like for like with Ryan Getzloff, except they're not like for like. And I don't know that it was ever really presented that way, but it's a very easy kind of step to take. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that definitely kind of colors because, like, I don't feel like the deal's bad at five million. You know what I mean? Like, if he's this guy, like, if he's a fifteen and thirty guy, I think in a better you know? team with more support. Yes. You saw that with the Rangers, right? Where he he can easily be a consistent fifteen thirty guy, right? Um, he was a fifteen thirty guy every season with the Rangers, except one where he was fourteen and thirty five, and that was in only fifty six games. So he was always that guy. Um, and and full seasons with the Rangers, like I said, he was always that guy. In one season with the Islanders, he was a fifteen thirty guy, and then you know a couple tough seasons near the end with the Islanders, and really tough seasons with the Oilers. But all things considered, with how bad the Ducks were, it's not awful, but it is funny, like you said, like, you know, in the sense if he had two less points, it optically doesn't look good. If he has four more assists, he's at 30 assists, you know, at 1530, yep. and he's at 45 points, and you're like, okay, like, that's pretty much on par with the last couple seasons, and you can account for, you know, that plus five points that you would expect with a better team, plus five or ten points. Yeah. If, if he had a bit more support and the power play was better and the offense just in the hole was better, that you could expect, you know, an additional five points and he'd be just sneaking into that maybe 20, 30 range, 50 points, and then you'd be like, okay, like that's right around his career average, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not far off of it. And I, I do still think, you know, he's a good player to keep around as some depth. He, he is a good player. He still put up 41 points on this team. He was still in the in the the top five of, of scoring among forwards on this team, right? I mean, Adam Henrique would have likely passed him with more games, but he he did put up. You know, there, there's a gap after Henrique. It really drops off when you get down to Comtois Jones, right? So there is six right. main guys clearly in that forward core this year, and he was a part of that. So what that looks like next year, if you say. You know, if you do get Connor Bedard and he immediately jumps into that top six, you know, does that push Ryan Strom down the lineup and you see less from him? Or does he get more opportunities potentially and does Vitrano get pushed down? So that that will be interesting to see how that dynamic works. But I would definitely at least give him another year and see how he can work and hopefully a better team that has a little bit more dynamic um, essence, I guess you could say, to their offense, a little bit more flair to it and, and really see what he could do. Because I, I think we got... The bare minimum of what you expect from Ryan Strom, right? We we got the bare minimum, nothing less, but nothing more. It was just kind of bare expectations of what you would hope from him. It's about forty points, right? Yeah, it's interesting too because I think because he was playing with talented players, 
because he was playing for a bad team, because he was playing for a team that seemed to lack consistent structure in either end. Um, you know, I think towards the end of the season, the defense definitely started to improve. And I would be very curious to know kind of what little changes and things like that, that, you know, were made. And if it was just not having certain guys there, yeah, or no, was no having certain guys there. yeah, we're even Kulikov, right? Like I don't, and I don't say I loved Kulikov. I, I re-signed him the summer. Like I, you know, no beef with him. Yeah. Um, it's just more of just like sometimes taking different guys out and moving different guys in just changes the dynamic. Yep. And so I think what you saw to get back to the actual point I was trying to make, um, is the full highs and lows of the Ryan Strom experience. Like you saw how big the concerns can be, uh, defensively. Um, and you also saw why he's a great complementary piece for a talented forward group. I mean, you saw the whole thing. He can play in the center. He can play on the wing. Playing him, you know, he's his style of play doesn't change no matter where he plays. He's still looking to do the same things. It's just you know what kind of positions he's in and what are, the expectations are of him defensively. But you know, the less defense you can ask him to do, the better. Uh, you know, I, I think I think you're definitely right in that. All in all, I think it's fair to say that this was a C plus season for him. You know, between the unfair weight of expectations kind of coming in, and then just the general results. Like he was a productive player, and you know he kind of finished close inverse of Henrique, which is kind of another thing that we were looking for, right? A more offensive version of Henrique, which we see with the playmaking. Um, And then also not being as good at defense. Um, But like you said, I think he's going to be a good player to keep around. I got to be honest. I have put him in trades in my head because that $5 million is a nice little number. Yeah. Um, But if they do trade Henrique, which I expect the team to do, he is going to be a guy that I think is going to benefit the team to have around because of his experience, because of uh, his ability, all that stuff. Yeah. So no, I was, that's what I was. The, the next point I was going to kind of lead to there was with Henrik is that it, there's still potential he gets moved this off off season. I've seen a few people. I think Elliot Friedman's mentioned it a, a bit, just kind of in passing of guys who could move this summer. And, and Henrik and Gibson are, are kind of the guys' names that that keep coming up here. So yeah, if you if you do move on from Adam Henrik, it is good to still have a guy like Ryan Strom around. Where without had Adam Henrik in the lineup there. You know his top six spot is kind of guaranteed for next year, no matter who comes in in the, in the draft. So, you know he can play that role. So it is good to still have a guy like that around because you know even if you get Connor Bedard next year or at the draft this year, like next year is not going to be a fun season either. Like there, there's not really much that you're adding at the NHL level beyond him. Right? There aren't any prospects or at least high end prospects the Ducks have that would seemingly make the roster next year. Like the expectation is Zellweger and Mintikov. Um, and even I think we know would be in the AHL next year, at least to start the season there. Uh, and then on the forward I, side man, of things, man. you don't really have anybody stepping in yet. So no, San Colangelo is on like his fourth fucking call. Yeah. And past you have, um, 
at the very least, I don't think he's AHL eligible yet. He might be, but that would be the starting point for him. If not going yeah. back to, to junior for another year, I think he is AHL eligible. So that would be Jacob Perot, yeah. Braden Tracy. And those guys haven't taken yeah. a massive step forward. So, you know, you would hope, but there's no beyond who you draft at, you know, one, two or three this year. And unless it's Mitchkov, there's really no guarantee. And I think outside of Bedard and Fantilli, even with Carlson, there's no guarantee that he comes over right away next year either. So he, there, there, there is a guy that you're going to want to keep around there because it, it still is going to be bleak. You need guys to fill out the roster, you know, get you to the, the salary floor. So um, I, I think he does stick around. But, yeah, I, I do think Adam Henrique is, is moved this offseason just um, – Again, with with some guys knocking on the door, and with the fact that he was almost moved at the deadline, and now seemingly that's been pushed off um, to the draft at the very least, or if not in the off season. Uh, I want to talk about McTavish a bit because I mean he was a big discussion in our preseason, our season preview about how he would do and his, you know being up for the call. They're ultimately not in not in the conversation, but not going to be kind of one of the top three guys in the running. All things considered, very successful rookie season. 17 goals, 43 points, established himself as kind of like the premier threat on the power play. He had the most power play goals on the team. He had seven. So he he kind of established his role on this team and what you can expect from him in the future. He did end up eventually taking over um, a center position and being kind of like a second or third line center for this team at times. I know he filled in a first line center as well when they decided to push Zegras to the wing. So... I think all in all, an impressive season from Mason McTavish, not in the running for the Calder and in what I guess you could call was a weak year for the Calder Trophy, but the signs point to, you know, in, in the right direction for for his development as a, this is a real good step forward for him to, to build on next year and hopefully become, you know, a 50 to 60 point player next year and then really round out his game as, as a solid two-way player. Let, let me ask you a question. Did you see anything this this year from McTavish to make you think he isn't a top six center? No. Me either. And I think that's huge. There was nothing I saw from him this year that didn't go. I mean, at worst, he's a second line center. Like, I just, everything about the way that he plays, the consistency, um, you know, he, he's incredibly skilled he works really hard like he does everything that you want mm-hmm. out of a rookie and he's got an incredible skill set i think i'm going to be a crank for 10 seconds and everybody can you know you can ignore me you can turn the volume down count down whatever you want i was very surprised at how little i felt like he made himself uh let me say it this way I was very surprised by how little impact I felt like he had physically in the games. Yeah. I don't feel like he, he, you know, I was surprised. I think he ended up with 50 hits or something like that, which I, I thought was a pretty surprising number. Um, you know, I expected, and this is my own personal bias, obviously, that just a player of that size with that position who's been that size and come up through the Canadian hockey league, I expected him to be much more physical. And he uses his body incredibly well, especially around the net. Like, he's not afraid of contact or anything like that. But he's not a guy going around and looking to lay people out, which I thought might have been a little bit of a dynamic he could bring. And look, he could absolutely grow into it. Um, but that was just something I was a little surprised by. But other than that, like, you know, 
I, again, like I, I think the best way for me to say it is just I didn't see anything from him this year that I'm that that would make me think he's not a top six center for the next ten years in this league. So yeah. I thought he was great. I think you know you saw the shot, you saw the defensive abilities, you saw the size and the skating and the skill, and he was great. Yeah, it just felt like he eased his way into the league, and, and not in a negative way where. You know, there's there's a base there for where you can see where improvement can be made. Like he had 161 shots. I think eventually, what you would hope for and expect from him is is 200 plus shots a season, right? Like the only guy above that for the Ducks was Vitrano. He had 231. The only other guys with more shots than McTavish were Zegris and Terry with 184 and 188. So he was still top four on the Ducks, but he is a guy eventually, I think, with the shot that he has and given more opportunities. Like of the Ducks four as we've discussed, with Zegris, Terry. Henrique, Strom, Vitrano. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anybody else above him. I don't think there was. But they all played, even Silverberg was right around it, but they all played more minutes than him as well. And in some cases, you know, two or three more minutes a night as well. So that will go up potentially as early as next year too, 16, 17 minutes a night. And those two extra minutes will make a difference in his stats and his shots, points, you know, everything all all. all considered together he'll be a power play one guy they figured out what his role is going to be on that power play one is the trigger man he wasn't that for the entire season do you think a better power play with him as the trigger man with him getting more comfortable being physical i think eventually he'll be a hundred plus hits guy as well as was at 55 this year so once he gets kind of built more too right he's still a young kid gets built more more used to the physicality in this game willing to kind of go into those areas and play that role yeah, and, and I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to cut you off. I, no. mean, I am obviously trying to cut you off, but like, I, I do think it's worth saying, like, he wasn't, he didn't shy away from anything. No. He was around the net, he was in the corners, all that kind of stuff. I think, um, I do think you're right that as he grows a little bit more, he might throw himself into those corners with a, li- a, a little bit more violence or, or recklessness. Uh, but, you know, he absolutely, wasn't afraid to use his body and his size to create opportunities for himself, either offensively or defensively. Yeah. So, sorry. No, yeah. I, I think from a standpoint, I, I mean more so of like taking over a game physically where you notice mm-hmm. some of the, you know, the, you know, Jamie Benn is as a good example. I know he's a bit taller than McTavish, but you know, Jamie Benn in this prime, and even this year, when you look at, you know, how a, a, the modern day power forward and those guys can just take over a game physically and just be dominant, right? Like I think he, he, I think he has the potential to be that player and we saw shades of it this year, but he's got the skill. He's got the shot to be a 30 plus goal scorer in this league and just be a physically dominant player, whether that's at the center position or at the wing, you're, you know, more so than any rookie in a sense. Like even with Zegris, when we saw him come in, you knew what you were going to get. You know, very skillful player, but it was raw a lot of times. And you didn't exactly know, in a sense, where he was going to fit, whether he was going to be at center or at wing and what you were going to get from him on a nightly basis. The the thing that was maybe a bit more comfortable in a sense, and this isn't trying to slight Zegris, about McTavish is like you just really saw like a nice base for him to build on of what you can expect, right? He really grew into some specific roles for this team as like a physically imposing, you know, center or winger forward for this team, a guy who's going to fight hard in the corners, get in front of the net, be that net front presence, be the trigger man on the power play where as the season went on, he just kind of added these little next steps to his game that you can see like the development was 
evident throughout the season, right? And you know kind of what you can expect from him next year. Um, and that and that just kind of plays more into his game, right? He is a bit more reserved and has a, a bit more structure to his game and what you kind of expect from him, um, whereas Zegers is kind of a wild card in what you're going to get. And that's what you want from, from Trevor Zegers, don't get me wrong. But I, I do really think McTavish's rookie season has, has flown under the radar a little bit because there were some high expectations, I think, at the start of the season, it was him and Matty Beniers who had the highest kind of percentages and odds to win the Calder Trophy. And Beniers kind of just started hot and had some hot streaks here and there that took him above where McTavish could get to. But, you know, again, like I said, almost 20 goals, 43 points, you know, led the team in, in, in power play goals, established his role throughout the season, got better and better as the season went on, more comfortable. It's a nice place to be in as a Ducks fan to look at what you can expect from him next year where he's going to get more minutes and he's going to be able to you know know exactly what role he's going to build into next year. It's not going to start the season with a blank slate and say, okay, you're on power play too and we don't really know where we're going to put you and what you're going to expect. No, we know what we're going to get and we know we're going to, where we're going to put you, whether it's, in, you know, it's going to be a new head coach. I don't think that matters. You know, the numbers and the way he played this year kind of speak for themselves. Um, he's really just kind of ironed out and, and chiseled out a real good role and spot for him to build on for next year. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, he's, uh, yeah, like you said, he just kind of grew into it. And I, I think your comment about you just see a more stable base makes a lot of sense because, like you said, the thing that you saw from Zegers that you're you're looking for and why he's special is that spontaneity, is that creativity, is that that kind of, that looseness and that lack of fear of the moment. Um, and with McTavish, what you were kind of hoping for is to see somebody kind of come in and bring maybe a little bit more of a structured presence down the center, and that's exactly what he did. And he does it without sacrificing any offensive upside. He, um, you know, I, I mean... I have a hard time thinking he's not the one C in the future just because he looks like a first-line center. He plays like a first-line center. I mean, as long as the production, you know, it continues to progress in the way that we kind of think it will, there's no reason he's not a first-line center in this league for a long time. And again, like I said, I think the worst-case scenario at this point is he's a really good second-line center. Um, you know, and... That's awesome, and it's, you know, I, I did a kind of a playoff preview podcast with some people from old SB Nation sites and stuff, and uh, one of the things that I was joking about was just, like, I'm so glad I didn't have to care about the Calder races. <laughs> like, I just kind of got to be like, oh, yeah, Mason McTavish had a real nice year. He did lots of things that I'm very excited about and very enjoyed. And also, it's I don't have to worry about the, you know, the dog and pony show of, well, is this, you know, is Mo Sider versus this, and but also Michael Bunting, and then Jeremy Swift, and all this yeah. shit. And it was just like, oh, yeah, no, I just got to watch McTavish be a good hockey player and enjoy it. Um, what, what for you was kind of a notable surprise, either positively or negatively? What was something, like, that you kind of came out of this season with, like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's a tough one because, like, you know, the the one thing I kind of started this with 
before too is is for me at least with this season there wasn't anything majorly unexpected right you know mctavish had Mm -hmm. a decent rookie season terry and zegers led the team in scoring the guys we acquired kind of did what we thought they would and the guys who we didn't weren't sure if they'd take a step forward really didn't you know talking about guys like come and max jones in the sense isaac lindstrom right so there wasn't anything majorly surprising but i i i will say i think it'd be more so on on the goaltending side of things and i know this was you know, historically a bad team defensively, and they were always going to be kind of thrown to the wolves. But not so much the struggles of John Gibson, but being able to see a guy like Lucas Dostal come up and, and do well uh, and, and have that kind of success with how much the team struggled this year and to see, you know, all the kind of rumors swirling around John Gibson, I, I think that was like the major surprise this year because, again, like I said, everything kind of fell into line as expected and, and the big question mark defensively for this team is what was going to happen with the goaltending and I'm not blaming John Gibson here and saying I'm surprised he was so bad I was just surprised that things went the way they did you know with Gibson and Stolars and eventually Dostal coming up Um, I I expected things to maybe go a little bit differently so I was a bit surprised with how things kind of shook out in the end with the goaltending for the Ducks And, and that's more so like I said just because everything else kind of fell in to place in like a normal realm if that everything else ended kind of where you expected yeah yeah it wasn't yeah Yeah. and not even like and in terms of my predictions but just if you had shown me this kind of season leaders and the stats and everything at the beginning of the season i'd have been like okay that makes sense you know nothing is jumping off the page there for me And, and the closest thing to maybe doing that is cam fowler but we can just all you have to do is watch the season and dive into why his numbers were a little bit higher well Klingberg didn't pan out and he became power play one for a while and, and, and kind of ate up a lot of those numbers and inflated his numbers a bit. Not to say he didn't have a good season, but that kind of boosted the numbers to where they were, where he had his career high in points at 48. So even that, you can explain why they're a little bit higher, right? So I would have to say the yeah, goaltending, I mean, but not not by any major surprise, if any. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, Klingberg being a bit of a disappointment, <clears throat> Uh, but I also think Jamie Greasdale getting hurt and missing the whole year, you yeah, know, really uh, gave Cam more, even more opportunity to be in the power play one and to play even more, even straight minutes and all that kind of stuff. Um, the goaltending thing kind of makes sense. I think, you know, for me, as far as the goaltending is concerned, like I just, uh, I almost just like, kind of wrote it off all year just because I I don't expect anybody to be able to perform at a consistently high level with that level of team defense in front of them. Um, uh, I just, you know, I, I think I saw, for me, right, and this is just for me, I saw enough flashes from all of the goalies that I'm kind of totally fine with the goalies. Like I, I'm just like, oh yeah, I saw they played well enough here and there that I know they can still be the like in Gibby's case, he can still be that guy. Yeah. In Dostal's case, I am no longer. I've, I've seen him be a really good goalie, right? Like make good saves, do things like that. Um, and that for me was just enough to kind of get me by with them because again, like I just that defense was just a fucking train wreck. Uh, for me, the surprise for the season was just how much I love Frank Vitrano. Yeah. I just fucking enjoyed the shit out of him, man. Like, he's feisty as hell. And 
you know, I've joked about it a hundred times, but like, I love that he just, the moment he gets the puck, he shoots. Like, it's awesome. He is just getting them up. He does not care. He's like, I am on this team to shoot. Yeah. Shooting is what I'm going to do. Um, you know, and I, I genuinely expect him to take like half court shot next year. Yeah. Like, just multiple. Like, because he just loves to get them up and he gets into the middle of everything. I've never seen someone try so hard to jump on other people's backs as consistently as he tried to. He he was a real bright spot for me for this year, just in so much as uh, an unexpected benefit, right? Because, yeah. you know, the guys like we talked about already, we were, we were looking to them to do those things. I wasn't expecting Vetrano to come in and be a massive shitster. You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't really see that coming. And so to get that guy and to get him in, like, kind of, you know, that kind of package where he's just, like, sticking his nose into everything and he's undersized and he's feisty as hell. Like, it just, he was a blast. He was absolutely one of the highs of the season for me. Yeah, just a real competitor. And, and, and I think, like, when we talked about him in the season preview, too, we said, like, you could you you I think you probably said this. You just mentioned it now. Like you, he's coming in to shoot the puck because nobody else on this team does. And you look at the fact mm-hmm. he had 231 shots, which is over 50 more than the next highest player on the team. He came in, did what he did, what you wanted him to do. Put up 22 goals on the season, and then did everything else. Was just a competitor. Was a feisty player. You know, stuck stuck up for his teammates. Played kind of with this edge to his game. I think he had like 86 mm-hmm. hits too, which was fairly high on, on the team among forwards. I think it might have been the highest on the team among all forwards as well, So other than Sam Carrick. So, you know, he, he just kind of did a bit of everything. And, yeah, I would agree that, you know, the, one of the f- more fun players to watch in, in a surprising mm-hmm. sense. Like we knew what we are going to get in, in terms of wow factor and exciting play from Zegris and Terry. But from Vitrano, just kind of – you were never upset when he was on the ice. He was always doing something – interesting and, and competing hard and, and playing the right way so i maybe i'll revise my answer a bit of the surprising i think um looking again at the power play numbers a bit surprising the power play was so bad with you know the expectations and, and a lot of that comes down to john Klingberg not panning out and, and the ducks really not figuring out an identity on the power play until later on in the season uh, but second worst power play is probably not where i would have earmarked them to finish with you know the first unit being zegris terry uh, you know, Vertrano, Strom, Henrik, McTavish being in that mix with John Klingberg. I expected it to just, you know, not be significantly better, but definitely not the second worst power play in the league. No, you would have hoped they'd finish in the, the low 20s or teens even, mm-hmm. as opposed to the fucking bottom. And again, like we were saying at the beginning of this, and like we've said all this year and all of last year, if the Ducks are ever going to take a surprising step forward, maybe before they're actually ready, it will be on the back of goaltending and power play. Mm-hmm. Because at five on five, they just don't have the guys yet, right? We're seeing these kids become these guys and grow into these roles and, and continue to develop, but they're not there yet. Um, you know, this obviously this draft in May eighth is. Well, I'll say that for a second. Um, damn it! I completely got distracted by the May eighth thing. Uh, Haven't we all? Uh, so, shit! So I completely lost my train of thought. I'm just gonna go straight to it. Is May eighth 
of this year already a top 10 most important day in franchise history? Uh, yeah, I would say yes, just because of the caliber of prospect that Connor Bedard is. If you put the draft lottery when the Ducks were could have got Sidney Crosby in that mix, then it's the same thing, right? Like it is the same type of mm-hmm. situation where you knew what type of prospect Sidney Crosby was at the time, that he was a generational prospect and was being touted as that. And, you know, the next at the time, the next best thing since Wayne Gretzky, right? That that's a pivotal that was a pivotal moment in franchise history that didn't pan out the way that they wanted. Bobby Ryan was a great player for the Ducks, but he's not Sidney Crosby, right? So this the same thing I think goes for this as well is Adam Fantilli, Matt Vaymichkov, Leo Carlson are great players, but what Connor Bedard has done and what people expect him to do at the National Hockey League, again, you know, similar to how Crosby was the best player since Gretzky, Bedard is the best player to come into the draft by a mile since Connor McDavid, right? Like he has just done things that you don't do at that level, that nobody's done right. at that level. So May 8th is, is extremely important and... Again, I know I see a lot of people out here, and, and it's for good reason, and, and, I, and I do share the sentiment a little bit, saying, oh, if we don't get Connor Bedard, you know, you've still got some great players. And that's true. That is 100% true. Adam Fantilli is a great player. Leo Carlson is a great player. If the Ducks get them, you should be more than happy. But there's something to be said about there should still be some disappointment there if you don't mm-hmm. get first overall and miss out on Connor Bedard, because that's been the talk all season. The Ducks lost 13 games to end the season to get the best odds at getting this guy. The talk has been about this guy. There has been no debate for this entire season. There was a little bit at the end of last year with Mitchkov and Bedard, but there's been no debate this year. Connor Bedard has come into his draft year and somehow stepped it up and done Unbelievable things. 70 goals in the WHL. Almost three points per game in the playoffs uh, for a team that shouldn't have even been there. You know, They shouldn't even have been in the mix. I think he had 20 points in seven games, 10 goals and 10 assists. Like, and this is, a, this is a kid who you know, came into this league as an exceptional status player. It was you know, a year younger than everybody else. Came in at 15 and has just been on the up and up. And you think what he did for Canada at the World Juniors, right? Like, there's something to be said about generational prospects, and, and there aren't many, and there rarely are guys like this that, that become available. And if you're going to pick a year to be bad, this is the year to do it. And May 8th is extremely important uh, important for the Ducks franchise uh, to to get them where you expect them to, to hopefully be in the future, where you want them to be. Um, it, it, would, it would suck a lot to watch, to have the chance here, and to watch Connor Bedard you know, do amazing things at the NHL level for Columbus or Chicago or San Jose or Montreal, right? Like whoever would end up winning the mm-hmm. lottery. There would always be, as there has been with Crosby, there would always be that thought in the back of your mind of what if, right? What if the balls fell that way for us and you end up getting that player? So here's the thing. I agree with like 95% of what you just said. I will say I do think Adam Fantilli is good enough and better enough that getting second place is not as big of a hit as it was in the Crosby year, right? Like, I think Fantilli will pretty, like, 
I fully expect Fantilli to be better than Bobby Ryan. I, I, I expect him to be better than some number one overalls that have gone in recent years. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, like, I, <clears throat> take Bedard out, act like he's not here, look at his resume, Fantilli's resume on its own. It's extremely impressive. There aren't many. There's two guys who've ever done what he's done. One of them is Paul Correa. One of them is Jack Eichel winning a Hobie Baker as a freshman. The numbers that he put up this year for Michigan were a joke. He did it as a a draft year freshman, right? It's not even like a Luke Hughes thing, right, where he he gets drafted and then he goes to college and he has a great year or anything like that. Like, this is is just – preternatural special and then and, and it's funny i was talking i don't know who i was talking to this about i was talking to somebody and i was saying and, oh it might have been you actually um but it, it makes it to me it's it's the most incredible testament to how special connor bedard is is that adam fantilli is this good this big this fast yeah. this skilled and he's not even pushing for There's first. no talk at all, yeah. There's no talk. And I, I think that that should not be seen as a knock on Fantilli. Yeah. I think that should be seen as an extra bit of, you know, context and emphasis to just how special Connor Bedard seems. Yeah. And I, I think that's very cool. Um, you know, I... I it's why I half agree with what everybody's saying, and, and that yes, you do get some good players if you miss out on Bedard, but the fact that these guys, the fact that Fantilli is putting up historic numbers that not anybody does in the NCAA and is nowhere close, the fact that Matt Vimichkov is having one of the best under eighteen years in you know Russian hockey history and is nowhere close to the discussion. Leo Carlson's having one of the best, I think, under eighteen years in SHL history, nowhere mm-hmm. close to the conversation. Like that's. I agree with you're going to get a great player if you don't get number one, but the fact that these guys are doing this and potentially all three of those guys could be number ones in other draft classes and they're not Mm -hmm. even getting in the conversation um, to be number one overall just tells you how special Mm -hmm. Connor Bedard is and what he's doing. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and you know, I, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm secretly hoping that they trade for a second pick and we get uh, Matt Van Mishkov, who was I think it was Sam Costantino, who you know obviously a super reliable source yeah. and really plugged in guy, uh, said that he's hearing that there are teams who said they think Mishkov will fall to the second round. 
and there's, an, there's enough teams that imagine have getting picks. Matt Vemichkov with the 33rd pick. Like I thought getting who was it Brad Lambert with the 30th pick yeah. last year, something like that. Like that was incredible enough to me. The idea of getting Mitchkoff, like, there's no way Mitchkoff makes it past ten. Yeah, and the thing is, like, Lambert fell because he struggled in his draft year. Mitchkoff did not struggle at all. He was putting up. Unpre- well, he struggled when he, he he struggled at the beginning of the yeah, year. Yeah, with Saint Petersburg. He moved to Sochi. Yeah, because yeah. they. But he also wasn't getting. He got the Russian, the you know, the the young kid Russian KHL treatment where they don't play you mm-hmm. at all, no matter how good you are. And then he moved to Sochi, and they played him. Good situations, top six on the power play. What do you know? He produced and he put up almost a point per game in the KHL, which you do not see from players that age. So, no, I, I look, I love Mishkov. I still think he's the second best prospect in this draft class. Yeah, on pure upside, um, it's, it, it's just pure potential. Yeah. I, I, I just think he's so, so special, and I would have absolutely no issue taking him. Um, but I do think it is hard to argue with. Bedard Fantilli one two, uh, just because of the skill level, because of the timelines, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, I I still think you can easily justify Mitchkov over Carlson, uh, just because I do think that raw potential is so insanely high. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I do think those first two are those first two, and then it'll be about what happens after that and seeing where it comes out. Yeah, I see a lot of places like he could go. Like Arizona has two picks potentially mm-hmm. in the top 12. Uh, they have 6 and 12 right now because Ottawa's pick they, they have. So I think they're a team who could who could take a swing on him. You know, Eiserman in Detroit right now, Detroit's at 9. If he falls to that point and they think he's significantly better than, you know, I know they're now maybe looking at guys who are closer to the NHL because they are competing and are getting better, but... You know, Eiserman always likes to kind of go off the board and take the best player available. I could see San Jose, if they stay at four or drop down a little bit, they could potentially take him, right? Like they yep. took William Eklund a, a couple of years ago, so I could see them potentially taking Mitchkov and their rebuild is just starting and thinking, okay, we'll wait a couple of years. And, and they seemingly had no issues with the, the whole Russian factor, right? Because they played. They, uh, there, was, there was an issue. What was the issue with... with uh, they played a game in, in Sweden or something. The Sharks did, and they didn't want their Russian, you know, the Sweden or someone oh, didn't want their Russian players uh, playing. But the, they played a game in Prague, right? Yeah, and uh, and they and didn't. And they didn't want the Russian players to play. Yeah. yeah, and they said, "Well, too bad." So I mean, clearly, it doesn't. Uh, that doesn't affect them too much. So I could see that as a place where he goes. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't love to see it because I don't want to see him end up in San Jose because I do think he's going to be an exceptional player. But I do agree with you. Like there are. One two for me is still Bedard Fantilli, no matter how much. Even even though I agree with you, and I think Mitchkov is the second best player on pure upside in this draft, um, the certainty of knowing mm-hmm. Bedard and Fantilli mm-hmm. could be there next year, or at least in you know the the year after that, and that you're going to be able to work them into your roster sooner, and you know they're for sure that they're going to come over and play. I think there's something to be said about that. But once you get into the conversation of Mitchkov versus Carlson or Mitchkov versus Benson and those guys, I think on pure upside, you could say, okay, well, we'll take the risk and we'll take Mitchkov. So I, I could see a team like San Jose or like Arizona or, or Detroit you know, pulling that trigger. There's no, absolutely no way to me he, he falls into the second round or even outside the top 15. Like, I just can't see it. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll happen. I think there's too many teams 
Like, I think there's too many teams that aren't supposed to be in the draft lottery this year that if they get to him, yeah. or if he gets to them, they're taking him immediately, no question. Yeah, you think Pittsburgh, you think... Washington. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, shit, if you're Philadelphia, are you... St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah team, teams St. that St. shouldn't Louis be here. Is one of the few, St. Louis is one of the few teams you could talk me into going after... Uh, like uh, I mean, maybe like a Will Smith, but he won't be there. Um, what's his uh, Axel Sanderson Polika? Yeah. I think is that kid. Like you know, but like a couple of these kids, uh, Einbacher, Gabe, Gabe Perot, really... maybe as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we're we're gonna have to this summer. I'm sure we'll do. Oh yeah, one or two after the draft lottery. Ones, I can't wait to do. talk about. I can't wait to talk about Zach Benson, who I consider to be one of the more interesting prospects this year. I, I, I love that like our draft preview this year will be more so just talking about other players and what other teams can get because mm-hmm. unless we fall to three, like that's where we'll have a, be able to actually have a debate. Obviously, I don't hope that happens, but then we'll be obviously debating Carlson and Benson and Mitchkov and, and whoever. Uh, but yeah, if we land at one two, like there's no debate. We already both are kind of on the same page there. Maybe you could talk at two. Is would you take Mitchkov over Fantilli? But we've kind of already laid that to rest a little bit. So ideally, I'm, we I'm... go into our draft preview knowing the Ducks are going to get Bedard, and then we just have fun with the rest of the teams and fits. And, and that's what I'm saying. So. Like I'm just like so excited to not actually have to care about how good Andrew Crystal is. Yes, I, I just I don't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I hope so. Because he's not going to end up in Anaheim. Unless there's a trade, right? Like, I don't, I just don't have to know. Yeah. It's so comfy. It's so warm. The one thing I have to say like, oh, now, yeah. we're not going to do, I'm not going to stream the draft lottery this year. I can't. Because every, every time we've done it, I've been behind, and then I end up finding out soon. I can't do it. I'm going to be too stressed yeah. this year to do it. I can't. So, no, we're not doing that this year. I'm, I'm no, putting, no, I'm putting no, that to rest. Be, I, I, my, we may have to do an immediate live on that night on twitch or something yeah if we win for sure if not oh i'm God. going to bed and i'm just going to pretend if, it never happened if we win you're never hearing from me again i'm just gonna go move into the uh the honda center yeah. and i'm just gonna live there i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> running to uh regina or i guess no he lives she's probably back in, in vancouver <clears throat> i'm running to vancouver to pick him up myself and drive him to the honda center just to make sure nothing happens he can yeah. You can stay uh, with Pat and Jason until the draft just to make sure he makes it in time. <laughs> Connor Bedard, welcome to your Melinda. <laughs> All right. Well, uh... um, the other big news, I guess, if we don't, I don't think we have anything draft now because we'll get into that obviously after the lottery. Um, it's not big news because we knew this was going to happen or we expected this to happen at the end of the season. But Dallas Aiken's contract was not mm-hmm. renewed. He was let let go, fired contract expired whatever you want to call it he's not head coach at the anaheim ducks anymore um the the quotes from verbeek were he said he three reasons why this happened he wanted a fresh start wanted a new voice wanted a different direction they're all kind of one of the same thing right like that's yeah it's the exact same fucking thing like it it was very very funny to listen to that little press scrum yeah and him go yeah it came down to three things this this i'm like oh so it came down to one thing yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you just wanted a new coach, which is fine. He wasn't which, your guy. No, I no no issue with it. I, I just it's very funny to me because that is a very human thing yeah. to to try to make 
your reasons sound a little bit bigger and more broad than perhaps it actually is, even if your reason is perfectly valid. It's just natural to be like, well, I mean, there were a couple of different factors. It's like, no, like it just, it was time to move on. Yeah. That's that simple. Yeah. No, and that's exactly it. Like it, it was time for the Ducks to move on. Um, and it's it's a, an easy split, right? You're not firing him per se. The contract right. was up. You could let him go. And we talked about this all year and at the beginning of last year too. Like it just seemed like it was made, meant to be. It was going to happen unless the Ducks like magically crept into the playoffs that you could say, okay, like maybe. But when you finish dead last, like there, there was absolutely no way they were going to give him a new contract. Um and bring him back. So nothing's happened. Nothing's nobody's been replaced yet. The only hiring that's come in is the Ducks have named uh, it's Matt McIlvain, right, as the AHL mm-hmm. head coach um, for the San Diego Gulls. So that is a guy that I know a few people had on their radar for the head coach job for the Ducks, but he's rarely does that happen. We've talked Ricard Gronberg into the ground as being an option for the Ducks in their head coaching job. Rarely do you see a guy come over, even though even with the success both of them have had in Europe, mm-hmm. and jump right into an NHL head coaching job. It just doesn't happen. But great hire, a lot of potential there for him to to be a head coach in, in the National Hockey League. And listen, it shows the thought process from Verbeek that he is thinking, you know, forward thinking here. Trying some new things out, bringing in in some you know guys from different backgrounds and different atmospheres to say, okay, like we've got a plan in place here. We want to see what this guy can do. Not ready by any means to jump into an NHL head coaching job as as much as some people would love to think he is. He's young. Let's give him a chance. See what he can do. There's going to be a lot of young, exciting players coming to San Diego. If he does well and things don't pan out, I don't think you're thinking this, but if things don't pan out on the NHL side with whoever you hire, you've got a guy in your system that you like and you're confident in that he could be an NHL head coach, right? So there, there's some thought process there, at least behind the sign. So the Dallas thing. Yeah, I skipped ahead there yeah. a bunch, but. No, 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 no. It's fine. We, you know, like you said, we've been talking about this all year. It was what we all expected, and again, I think it made made the most sense to just get exactly like again. As much as I'm making fun of Pat Verbeek for making one thing into three things, sure. he's 100 percent right. It so. was ab- it was absolutely right to try and just get a whole new fresh start, especially with the season ending the way it did and in in, in in a weird sense very positively because it's like okay we know we're getting one of these three guys we know we're gonna we also finished with the worst team in the league so there's no reason that you can't even lie to yourself in a sense of like well we should actually bring this guy back it's like it, this is so easy to just everybody walk away and get a fresh start yeah. um you know i I want nothing but the best for Dallas Akins. I genuinely like that guy. I think he seems like a really, really good dude. I think he has his priorities in order. Uh, and I, I really hope he's able to find a spot for himself, whether that be in the AHL or as a college coach or, you know, a, a development staff person, you know, kind of thing like that. I, I, I want nothing but the best for that man. As for the Matt McElvain thing, I have seen a lot of people talk about him being a forward-thinking and progressive hire. And my question is, other than the fact that he's only 37, 
what is making people say that? Yeah. Does any and and, and I, I don't. I, this is gonna again. This is one of those things where I just sound like I'm being an asshole, and I guess I kind of am, but I'm not trying to be. What does anybody actually know about how he approaches things that they are looking at him as a young, forward-thinking hockey coach? Other than again, he's 37 and he was coaching in Europe. Yeah, there's a there's a couple videos, but again, produced by. Red Bull by the Red Bull group so of course they're not going to be negative there's an article that was shared that is a good article and it goes into depth a little bit about his journey and his coaching style and career and, and everything and but again it's it's nothing revolutionary you know he's not uh, I I always fall into soccer here right that's exactly where I was going to go I try not to but he's not like he's not a tactician he's not some genius that's bringing a new approach of thinking to the game of hockey and is revolutionizing you know, European hockey and with his approach to, you know, whatever, playing three defensemen and two forwards or some bullshit like that. Like, I, I'm not trying to, to beg on the guy. He's had success in Europe. He's won back-to-back no, championships absolutely. with Red Bull Salzburg. Exactly. He, you know, was a part of uh, the Red Bull group in, in uh, Munich and with their team as an assistant coach winning back-to-back-to-back to back championships there. So he's he's had pedigree of success. He's young. 100%. I want to be very clear. Yeah. I am not questioning his credentials or his legitimacy or anything like that. What I am questioning is the people that I have seen say things about this hiring that I would like to know what makes them say that. I, 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 you know, I have no beef with Matt McElvain. I, I hope he's exactly the guy everybody seems to think he is. You know what I mean? Um, I just feel like everybody has been so excited about this guy that I wonder how many of us had heard of all that long ago. Yeah. Um, the one thing I... You know, maybe his name has been out there and I haven't heard it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to act like I'm, you know, the, the sole fucking guardian of all things hockey coaching and some of that shit. Um, it's, I just, it's been very surprising how aggressive the praise of this decision has been given that it feels like it kind of just came out of nowhere other than one of the thoughts in 32 thoughts, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. And it just kind of materialized from there. I know like in, in, from what I've read in, in coaching circles and teams who've, who've looked into like unique hires, I guess you could say, right. Cause he isn't in the traditional circuit of NCAA or AHL, even, you know, junior hockey, he's way on the outside where a lot of these guys, and we had our interview with Ricard Gromberg and even touched, touched on this and talked to him about it it's like it it's it's a lot harder for them to come over and get opportunities and jump right into the nhl a lot of times it's into the ahl you get your start there and you have to kind of grind your way up it's similar to how ncaa guys a lot of times have to do that and, and do the same thing but um the one thing i will say like and, and i know this is from soccer and i, I don't know the structure you know, with with hockey and how the Red Bull group handles hockey, but I know from soccer they tend to hire the right people and the you know smart guys. They they tend to take mm-hmm. chances, hire younger guys and guys, and 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 they do things the right way. They tend to. So I I would I would hope that this is the case with him. But again, there there isn't much to to kind of go on other than he's had he's young, he's had success with you know a team that maybe is supposed to have success, right? Like. I don't again. I don't that's know. Thing, that's my thing. Is we see this again with the Austrian league. Um, Red Bull Salzburg is always a good team. 
They're supposed to be a good team. They're well-funded. That's not a detriment to him. He's part of that situation. He still has to, to lead them to victory. He, he has a you know a 650 win percentage, 94 wins, 42 losses, uh, 94-42-22-19 record, and a 31-8 record in the postseason. Gets credit for that 100%. Absolutely. Right. But Red Bull Salzburg and Red Bull Munich, they win a lot. And a lot of that is the coaching staff, for sure, and hiring the right people. And a lot of that is just because they are well-backed and well-funded and they're a great team to go they to. They have an and, infrastructure, exactly. They are in major cities in those countries, and they, they have a good setup to win a lot. So i I just like to preface that with this. Again, I love the signing. I think it's a really shrewd move to bring a guy like that. It's a tough decision to make, right, to step out of, like, the comfort zone of hiring the retreads or, you know, from the normal tracks and, and, and avenues you go to, to, to bring coaches in. So in that sense, I do like it, but yeah, we do have to cool our jets a little bit and stop maybe acting like this guy is, you you know, again, Pep Guardiola, like they, you know, the next like young right. John Cooper or something out of nowhere, you know, it, it's tough to, I feel like that's what we've got into lately. And that's what I've seen a lot of. And, and there isn't much backing that other than, you know, a few positive articles about his approach and the way he, he, he handles the game and the success he's had at a young age. And it's, that's it, right? Like, that's all we're backing it on. So it's very tough to sit here and say, oh, yeah, no, this guy's going to be the Ducks head coach in five years, so they should bring in an older guy to kind of just hold the ship until he's ready to go. There is absolutely no guarantee he figures this out. It's a completely yeah. different game, a completely different style of hockey, a completely different approach. He's got to go into the AHL first, figure that out with a team that isn't really that good. They're going to get an injection of young players, but the goals were not good last year. And mm-hmm. there's no guarantee Lucas Dostal is going to be a part of that team next year, and that's going to be a big loss mm-hmm. for them. So he's going to have to figure that out with a team that's not as good as the team that he has been coaching in a different league. Especially within a, a within a comparative context, yeah. And then there's a right, like you were saying, yeah. the Red Bull teams are the Red Bull teams. They have the money and the infrastructure to mm-hmm. perform well. And again, like you said, even with all that money, you still have to perform. We've seen well backed and well funded organizations fail. I'm not trying to, you know. I mean, look, fucking PSG is right there, um, but. It's a lot it's, easier to have success with a team yes. that is backed like that. And again, that's not yeah, a detriment so, to what he's done, but it is a lot easier to have that where you do have to take that success with a grain of salt and say, well, yes, but you know they are yeah, exactly. well put together, well funded, they recruit well, they recruited him well, but there's a lot of other pieces that go into that success. It's not like he took a team that is normally bad from the bottom, changed things up, you know, with a certain style and kind of just whipped them into shape and, and, and won with them, right? Dragged them to a championship with his coaching style. That's not really the case here, per se. Might be, but there are other things that you can look at with these two teams that he's had success with and say, okay, these are also contributing factors to that, is that they are well-run, well-funded. They do have the ability to cr- recruit high-end players, and they are good a lot of the time. No, absolutely. Um uh, I, I mean, look, I'll, I'll also say this, you, you know, you mentioning uh, a couple of minutes ago or whatever, that he's not necessarily some schematic whiz kid is actually really reassuring to me because like, I don't want, 
I, I don't want a scheme dork. Like, I just don't think. You don't want, I, I like, don't... Um, that, that one coach in the French League where he doesn't even have his coaching license, but he got the job because he plays a lot of football manager? <laughs> you don't, you I don't want just, one of those guys. <laughs> I, I just don't want a scheme dork, man. Like, yeah. I just don't want someone who's, whose system is so entirely precious to the way that they operate, yeah. right? Like, I, I just feel like, especially at, high at the elite professional level it is far more about managing players than it is about implementing systems and especially in hockey a lot of too a lot of people disagree with that but exactly i think you know um because i think i saw somebody be like oh he's kind of sean mcveigh vibes and and my thing was just like i don't know that that's great and i also don't know like the rigidity of football allows your scheme to be impactful in a way that simply isn't possible in hockey hockey is far more free-flowing obviously there's no stops and starts and stops and starts you know it's not like all right everybody go get set and then we're going to start it's just like no everybody just fucking go and and that's why for me i think you know, I, I think schemes need to be more philosophical than tactical. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, about making sure guys understand their roles, what you're asking them to do. And and again, like, uh, this isn't to say that you can't be this and also be a scheme dork or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just, when people immediately start to talk about let me say it this way. When I perceive the conversation to be about somebody being a tactical genius, I immediately get a little hesitant because I just, again, don't know how much of a difference that that actually makes in hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't see and it. I, I think, yeah, you don't. I mean, because look, I can tell you right now who I think some of the best coaches in the league are. And I think there's one of the top three or four in my head who has a Stanley Cup. Like, because for me, it's Cassidy, uh, Cassidy, Brindamore, Cooper. Maybe you want to go Bednar. I don't disagree necessarily, but I mean, I might at this point say Jim Montgomery is a better coach than than Jared Bednar is maybe, you know what I mean? Like, I think Todd McClellan's a really good coach. He doesn't have a Stanley Cup. Like, and these are, these are guys who have gotten a lot out of the teams that they're coaching, but the teams that they are coaching are good and they are not simply, again, just tacticians. These are guys who understand people. Yeah. Man management, I just think that player matters. management. Man management, exactly. Managing a game Managing a game is a lot different than, you know, tactically setting up your team mm-hmm. in a way to succeed. It just doesn't – it's just not the same, right? Like when we're talking soccer and to some extent football as well um, and even, you know, even basketball more so. And I know it's not – you know, you can't it's, – it's a bit closer to hockey and like not really being able to like tactically set up and scheme. But there's a lot more you can do there, right, where you can change things up and, and try different things. It's just like there really isn't that much you can do. And that many changes you can make. And we haven't really ever, I haven't ever looked at a coach in hockey and said, wow, tactically, he just outclassed, you know, the, 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 you know, his, the opposing coach and the opposing team there. 
there are decisions you can make in managing a game, and we've seen that in in you know a lot in this series with Tampa and Toronto in the playoffs now, where you said, okay, like Cooper managed the game properly here. He did a few things mm-hmm. where you know threw the fourth line out there at the right time and did this and that, but that's not tactics as much as it is managing a game and managing people and managing players and doing things at the right moment. It's just not the same type of game where you can set up a tactic and say go out and we're going to do this and that's going to work you can run plays and whatever but it, it just doesn't work the same way and that's the that's the guy what i feared we we're running down this road with comparisons for McIlvain is that we're painting him as this like you know revolutionary tactician with really not a lot of kind of proof to back it up and say that he is this and and that he can do this and that's even possible i think he's a great young coach it's amazing what he's been able to achieve at only 37 at this point in Europe with yeah, some great no. teams. Absolutely. I'm excited that the Ducks brought him into their system and are giving this guy a chance, again, from a non-traditional kind of hiring standpoint. I would love for him to fulfill the expectations that people have put on him already of being the next Ducks head coach in the next three years and leading them to a Stanley Cup. That would be great. But... Oh. None of this in any way, shape, or form should impact who they hire as their head coach. I don't care that everybody and a lot of people and even Pat Verbeek think that this guy could be the next thing. I don't even think Pat Verbeek cares that he thinks this guy could be the head coach in three years. It should have no impact on who they hire now. They shouldn't go out and hire a veteran, more experienced coach to fill the hole until they think this guy is ready. Because the reality of the situation is, and it's a big if, he might never figure it out. He might never make it. Like, there's a real chance that that just never happens. And he just never and becomes the next coach of the Ducks. You, you can't base your decision on that. No, 100%. And there's a second thing that I think that also matters here, especially with, as everybody loves to remind us, aging curbs. You can't light these early years on fire. You, you, you can't... You... you you have to be building something, right? Even if you're tanking, this year they were building something. And you have to find the next guy who's going to help carry that on and start to build something with this team. But you need to start getting results. We're about to get major contract extensions for probably Zegris, definitely Terry. Jamie Dreesdale needs a new contract. Mason McTavish just spent the first year of his ELC Looks like he's going to get a big contract when he's finally up. We are starting to enter the part where it's like, let's see if we can maybe make some some surprising, you know, steps here. Um, you know, I, I don't expect them to be a playoff team next year. I don't even necessarily expect them to be a playoff team in two years. But I do think that within two years, they should be closer to the wild card than last. And a lot of that is going to be about who they bring in and what he, whatever, what he thinks, you know, what the new head coach thinks the right decision making is and where to put these guys and how to use them and stuff. And, you know, you can't make that decision with the, well, I only need them to be there for three years because I've got this other kid. Because one, like you said, you can't guarantee that he's going to be ready to make the move. Or that he'll even be able to make the move. And two, you just can't burn the years. I just don't think you can spend these 22 through 24, 25 years for some of these guys hoping that a prospect in San Diego who's not a player, 
puts it all together. No, it, so. it it's tough. Um, I had the people I was trying to pull up here, but we got to look at some coaching candidates for who the Ducks could bring in. For the record, before we get into yeah. this list, I just want to say Eddie put this list together. I did not I, put I, this list together. All right, fair. I put this list together scraping through the internet at potential options. And then I picked I picked a few out. So uh, there Jets quarterback Joe Flacco. Yeah. That's an interesting choice. Spencer Tracy, Dante Lee. You gotta throw Tamu in there too, right? No, Always. Yeah, exactly. Surprised he didn't make everybody's that list. favorite guy right yeah. now. My list should have just been Tamu, Paul, Scotty. Probably. I mean, look, if we're being honest, the bottom three names are the best names on this oh, list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the veterans. <laughs> All right, so read your list, Ed. Okay, so we'll go from it from top to bottom. We'll get to the best three at the end. Um, so I pulled this again from list of guys, you know, top candidates available, um, young upcoming coaches, blah, 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 blah. But the names we have on the candidates list are Joe Sacco, uh, current assistant coach for the Boston Bruins since 2014. Uh, was a coach for, for the Colorado Avalanche for four years. Uh, made the playoffs once. Wasn't a great stint uh, in his first coaching job. Uh, Andrew Burnett, who we've talked about multiple times, uh, former interim coach for the Florida Panthers, current assistant coach for the New Jersey Devils. Despite the, uh, what is it, I don't want to say legal issues or you know, police issues or whatever. You know, that he, got yeah, he, got a, he, he got a DUI over All-Star Weekend. He got a DUI over All-Star Weekend. He was in South Florida and he got a DUI. Ran a couple stop signs in a golf cart. Was kind of a dick about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, but he was struck. It, so. it, yeah, it, he, he got a DUI. And I don't know what to do with that. It's something that I've been thinking about literally since it happened because, you know, uh, this is the NHL and we know the way that the leaf operates. But I also wonder if, you know, he's a guy that they just sit on for another coaching cycle. I don't know. So, anyways, sorry. No, it's yeah, it's it's a, a tough one for sure. Um, but that's what it is because if it wasn't for the DUI, I I don't think anybody would think he would still be in New Jersey the next year. And at this point, I would say it might even be more likely he's in New Jersey next year than he leaves. Um, okay, uh, next one was Spencer Carberry, current assistant coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs. A little bit younger, I guess, on the coaching side of things. He's only forty-one. Um, was I think interviewed for the Caps job or was thought highly for the Caps job at one point. He was um, uh, the head coach for the Hershey Bears for a while, won ECHL Coach of the Year in 2014, won AHL Coach of the Year in 2021. Um, Washington apparently wanted to keep him on in their system, but he took the assistant coach job with the Leafs, and he's taken over the Leafs' power play as the assistant coach, and Toronto had the league's second-best power play unit behind, of course, Edmonton this year. So a lot of buzz around him, uh, a good potential option if the Ducks want to go for a kind of like that up and coming younger coach who's had some success in the more traditional, you know, right. coaching stints, the ECHL to the AHL, he's made that progression upwards. Now he's an assistant coach at the NHL level. The next step for him is hand the, you know, hand the reins to a team um, and, and get a head coaching job. Same thing kind of for uh, the next one, Jay Leach, who's an assistant coach or part of the, the coaching staff for the Seattle Kraken, uh, was the head coach of the Providence Bruins before that, um, you know, helped coach uh, some of the Bruins' top defensemen now, Charlie McAvoy, Jeremy Lozon, Connor Clifton. Um, he's going to get a job at some point, and he's done a good job 
with the Kraken too. I mean, they made the playoffs, right? So he's he's done a good job there um, as being part of that coaching staff. Mike Vellucci is another one. Uh, where God, where is he? Yeah, was current assistant coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, a little bit on the older side. And um, every article I read on this guy was they were surprised he hasn't been given uh, a head coaching job. He's been interviewed for uh, a few positions, but he's currently an assistant coach to Mike Sullivan. Uh, coached the Charlotte Checkers when they were just on a tear in the AHL for a couple of years. Won the Calder Cup in 2019 uh, and was named AHL Coach of the Year. Uh, for that season, interviewed for the Bruins head coaching job, interviewed for the Flyers head coaching position, um, and likely will be getting a few calls this season, obviously with the Ducks and a few other teams, Columbus, and, and I think, um, I'm trying to remember who else is looking for a head coach. A few teams are looking uh, for a head coach right now, so he'll be in that mix. I threw in Ricard Gromberg just for the sake of it. I absolutely mm-hmm. don't think that's going to be the case because if they were going to give a head coaching job to somebody with that type of resume, it probably would have been McIlvain. They would have just given him the head coaching job instead because Ricardo Gromberg has a fairly mm-hmm. similar um, resume to what McIlvain does, coaching in the Austrian League for ZSC Lions, former um, coach in at many different levels with the Swedish hockey. So, again, I threw him in there just because we've, we've talked about him for a very long time, but I, I don't think uh, he's going to be a guy that's considered. I threw in Jeff Blaschel. Because he was the Fucking only terrible. link I could make for Verbeek being in an organization with a coach that is available right now. Um, Blashill essentially switched positions with uh, Lalonde, I think it is right now. Lalonde um, came from Tampa Bay and became the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. And Blashill got fired and went to be an assistant coach with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So he's under John Cooper right now. Whether that helps him or not, I don't know. I, he got thrown under the bus a little bit with Detroit through the rebuild, similar to, in a sense what Dallas Aikens had to go through with the Ducks. I think somebody will give him another shot at some point because when he did come into the league with Detroit, he was highly th- thought, uh, thought of as being kind of a, a very good young coach. We'll have to see if that's the case. Again, I put him on there just for the link, just for the fact that Verbeek was an assistant general manager with the Red Wings at the time that Blasio was the head coach, so there is some connection there. And then your favorite three are the veterans on the list. For everybody who said that the Ducks should hire a kind of placeholder until McIlvain is ready, I had Bruce Boudreau, uh, Peter Laviolette, who was just fired from the Washington Capitals, and Alain Vigneault, uh, Alain Vigneault sorry, who was fired from the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. So I had, to, I had to throw those guys in there. You just you can't not include them. Fired from the Philadelphia Flyers like four years ago, right? Uh, 2022? He was head coach no. of the Flyers for 2019 to 2022, so he was just recently fired, was he not? Yeah, last last no. season. he This this season was his first year off as a head coach. He was still in Philly last year? He coached them to a 74-54-19 record, 10-6 in uh, the one playoff appearance that they went to. That they went in, so not bad. And a very good record with the New York Rangers from 2013 to 2018. In fact, I mean his I coaching been... his coaching resume is wow. very good. Like he his win his winning win you know, wins to losses ratio is very very good with his four stints. Obviously Montreal way back, then the Canucks for um, almost eight years, the Rangers for five, and then the Flyers for three. So again, wow. yeah, I don't know. 
So I had to throw those guys in. Okay. Those are the, the yeah. veteran guys that are available. Bruce Burger is obviously the funniest one that if he was to come back for a third stint here would be interesting. Second stint. What? Second stint. Is it? How many times do you think we fired Bruce Boudreaux? Why did I think he was here twice? Wow, that sucks. <laughs> no, that was Randy Carlisle. Never mind. Wow. <laughs> I was thinking Randy. I should have added Randy to this list. Jeez. Oh, God, that would have been fun. Um, so do you have any? Like, who are you, who do you want? Yeah, I, I think Andrew Burnett's still the number one choice just because again he has a little bit more experience and success in that experience than some of these guys maybe not games played but did some great things for, with the Florida Panthers mm-hmm. helped really with the turnaround here for the New Jersey Devils and them becoming one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference this year and they're it's it's a really good playoff series they're in right now with the Rangers. So he's a big part of that success as well. So I, I think he's still my number one. Um, outside of that, like I, I'm finding it very hard to separate, you know, Sacco and Carberry, Leach, Vellucci. Like they're all kind of in similar positions as assistant coaches in the National Hockey League right now who had success at the AHL level. They're all in that mix. Maybe Sacco is a bit more similar to like Blashill and stuff of, of having – been a head coach at the NHL level before and now an assistant who's having success with a good team. So I would say Carberry, Leach, Vellucci are probably all tied in kind of second because I'd rather have those guys and give a guy who hasn't had a chance yet a shot to see what he could do. So they're all kind of mixed there. I'm not really leaning one way or the other. You know, they're, they're again, very similar resumes of having success at the AHL level, winning AHL coach of the year going to uh, and be an assistant with a team that's had success and made the playoffs. So they're, they're all kind of right in that mix. Um, that would be it for me. The rest of these guys on the list, I wouldn't be super psyched if we, we hired them, you know, Sacco or Blashill, Boudreaux, Laviolette, Vigneault. I don't think that's the, the direction the Ducks should be going in, but you got to throw those names in there because they're definitely possible. Um, you know, if the Ducks aren't going to go that younger, less experienced route, then those are definitely guys, um, if you're looking for a guy who's done it before or had experience as a head coach at the NHL level, those are the guys that are at the top of that list right now. Yeah, I mean, maybe if we're really lucky, we'll hire Sergei Fedorov, who loves to pull his goalie in overtime like an insane person. Oh, I love it. Um, But yeah, I think I'm with you. I think Andrew Burnett is the guy on that list that I would look at as being like, I, I would say the most comfortable handing the keys to a young team. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm not even going to lie, man. Second on my list is Bruce. I love Bruce Boudreau. I think... I think he could do a lot of good for the franchise. I think he could come back and have an opportunity to really kind of re-cement his place as, like, the most beloved coach in, in Ducks history, right? Like... He's just he just meant so much to this franchise, and I get the ups and downs and the game sevens and all that stuff. But like, I still think he's got it. I still think he wants it, and and I just think that kind of up tempo, high personality style of his would work really, really well with a young, skilled Ducks team. Um, you know, I uh, I really think that could be a good one. 
uh, Laviolette. I like Peter Laviolette. Um, I just don't know that we want a hard ass right now. Yeah. And the same thing goes for Elaine Vigneault, who I, I don't know is necessarily much of a teddy bear. He's kind of he's kind of a prickly guy yeah. based on everything I've heard. I would have thrown Claude Julien into this mix, but it seems almost like a mm-hmm. foregone conclusion that he's going to be the next coach of the Ottawa Senators, and they're just trying to figure out like their ownership situation and stuff. So, um, Oh, that's so good for them. That'd be great. Yeah. So it, that seems to be set in stone and why his name's kind of been removed off a lot of lists. But like of all those other guys outside – the four that I I would like and the direction I like I would like the Ducks to go in yeah Bruce Bridger would probably be at the top of my list about those other guys just for you know you know what you're going to get from him we have that history there with the organization um he's had success in the other places he's gone he had some success early on with the, the Canucks as well and a lot of people felt he was kind of unfairly let go in, in a short yeah. period of time for, from there so oh he got totally hosed. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't hate it at all. I, I, again, there are other options above that, but if Brunette, if the, the Devils don't let Brunette leave or if he goes for a different option somewhere else and if, you know, some of those, um, the AHL or the assistant coaches that have had success in the AHL, if the Ducks don't really want to go in that direction, I don't, I can't blame them, right? Like, it is taking a risk on guys like Carberry and Leach and Vellucci that you think they can be head coaches at the NHL level. So... It's not the worst thing in the world if you're going to go Bruce. And I think that would appease a lot of people who do like McIlvain and think he can be the head coach and, and believe in him a lot. Clearly, Verbeek does as well, that he can be the head coach in, in the next three years. Then there really isn't a better short you know, stopgap option to bring in for the next couple of years than Bruce Boudreaux, right? Like that would probably be the best of the bunch of kind of a veteran guy to bring in for the next couple of years and pave the way for hopefully McIlvain to take over when he hopefully has success at the AHL level, right? Like that would be the guy. Yeah, I think, I mean, you're being much nicer about it than I am. Uh, I think if you're going to go a retread, you have to go with somebody like that. I, you know, I, I would be more than open and happy to see them give somebody a first time head coaching job. I, I, you know, who actually thinking about it now could be an interesting name is Travis green, yeah. uh, who was up for it the first I time. I almost added him in. Yeah. Um, so I'm on a few of them. Yeah. He could, he would be an interesting one cause he got a little bit of a run, but he also got a bad rub out. Uh, he got a, a bad, um, got a bad, nope, not, not going to make it better. Yeah. Um, he's got bad he memory. got, he got screwed a little bit, uh, obviously as everything went down in Vancouver. Uh, but Travis Green would be an interesting one, but yeah, I think if you're going to just go with a dead ass retread, I think Bruce is the one because I just think who he is as a person and who he is as a coach would be a huge lift to this franchise, especially for, uh, a franchise where, uh, Pat Verbeek seems to be more willing to talk to the fans. Yeah or communicate with the fans and kind of given it what, but he's not much more of a personality. And I think having somebody like Bruce Boudreaux, who's in front of them, who's going to be in front of the cameras and the mics every day, who has a good rapport with the media, who knows how to kind of keep things light, knows how to push buttons. He's been in big games. He's been in bad games. You know what I mean? He's kind of gone through it all. I think all things considered, and this is absolutely an emotional choice. I think he would be the retread guy if that's really the way they, they want to go. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, listen. I'm... Or we can just call Ken Hitchcock, see yeah. what he's doing. Oh, yeah. He's, or Mike Babcock is what I've heard a few times. Too. No, Ken Hitchcock. If we're going to get an asshole, let's at least get a good asshole. Yeah. 
Um, now, ultimately, like above all else, the direction I want them to go is Andrew Burnett. Like that hasn't changed. Yeah. I think we've been on that almost all year, of that being the option. He for me is just kind of uh, you know well above the rest of the candidates as being the best option and and the one of a nice mix of success at the NHL level compiled with you know some potential there to be um, a, a solid head coach of, of a team that's hopefully going to be on the up and have a lot of young players. Um, Again, with his you know young Florida Panthers team that he was the interim head coach of, and now with the Young Devils team, he's dealt with a lot of the similar things that he would deal with as being the head coach of the Ducks. So that's it. That's my pick there. I don't have anything more really to say about the head coaching stuff. We can, obviously we'll we'll get into it more um, when we inevitably get a hire. I think it's going to have to be after the draft at this point. I would imagine. Yeah, I know. I, I think he I mentioned think in an interview he would. Ideally, in an ideal world, I'd like to get it in place before the draft, but there's no guarantee. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time thinking that they would do that without knowing who they're getting, but maybe the fact that it's one of the three, it's one of four guys means that they actually don't actually have to care that much. So... um, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing anything getting done before the lottery is announced. Um, but I would expect somebody to be hired before the draft because I think who they're going to want to keep, who they might want to move, is going to depend somewhat on who they bring in. Um, so, yeah, I would say probably early to mid-June, I imagine, is when we'll get yeah. a higher yeah, so. let the draft lottery commence. Kind of have an idea of what direction you're going to be going in there, and then um, next, I think next decision after that. Obviously, it's not really like any decision has to go into the draft lottery. It is just kind of like a big like next point. You got to get over that hurdle, figure that yeah. out, get over, over that stress, and kind of know what your you know your the way things are going to shape out at the draft. Start thinking about that. Obviously, get um, you know the scouts are going to be on if it's not number one on who they should get at two or three, and that you know, scouting department will be on that. Rubik will be kind of looking into you know, who are we going to deal at the draft and whatever. And I think then part of that conversation will shift. And okay, well, let's start narrowing down our, our head coaching search now and getting guys mm-hmm. in for interviews and and kind of getting this settled here, like yeah. you said, for like you know mid to late June before the draft takes place. So. Um, and then everything will be aligned. Everything will be in place. So we'll see. I'm, 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 I'm excited, man. It's, it's an exciting offseason. A lot of change. A lot of things, um, again, to look forward to the draft and a new head coach and obviously a new head coach for the goals. A lot of new faces in on that side of things. Um, so it, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. You know, it, it, the Ducks fans are, are due for a little bit of fun after how, how stressful and how tough this season was. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh... You know, I, I I don't want to say that, you know, the the bad stretch of it is completely behind us because I don't think that's true. But I do think the worst of it is behind us. Yeah. Um, and and I really do think that ultimately, as disappointing as this season was, um, because you know, again, as much as we've been on the tank, nobody likes losing. Nobody likes having to watch these guys yeah. lose. Night after night after night, nobody, you know, it's it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Um, you know, there's a, a an objective, non-emotional 
uh, you know, value to these losses, but this is still a, a fundamentally a game played by people and those things matter. And to feel like it's closer to being better than worse uh, soon is, is real nice. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have a thousand different things to talk about. I'm sure we'll start to get lists of coaching candidates and stuff like that, um, you know, as the playoffs go on and more guys get fired and teams are step out and, you know, what do you call it? Assistants become available to talk and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, a few of the guys we mentioned are like actually a majority of the guys we mentioned are still in playoffs with their teams and you can't even, you know, mm-hmm. um, Leach is... Who knows? Sheldon Keith might be available. He might be. He might be. <laughs> if the Leafs bottle this 3-1 lead, then 100% oh he'll be God, available. Dude. I think Carberry's probably taking over for, for Keith at that point. So, um, all right, let's wrap it with this. Let's wrap it with this. Who, who do you have coming out of the East? Who do you have coming out of the West? And who do you have winning the Stanley Cup? Because we haven't really talked playoffs too much. Oh man! No series has been I... finished yet, so anything could still happen. I, I fuck it. I will take Toronto and Colorado. Like the Avs, and I will say Toronto too. Seattle. And I will say Toronto wins. Yeah. I would love a Seattle run. Yeah. That would be fun. Seattle's about to go up 3-2 they in that series. In the they're, Western Conference they're up 3-1 right now. Yeah, but Grubauer's going to turn into a pumpkin yeah. soon, man. He can't. Well, McCarr's also missing from this game, too. Um, all right, for me, I, I still, I'm still you? on the Rangers. Still on the Rangers. I think they'll, they'll pull it out. Look, I want them to win the Stanley Cup just so they can trade Jacob Truba to Anaheim because I want him in Anaheim. Yeah. But... Um, other than that, I don't. Yeah, I, I just I think I the think they'll be able to piece it together, man. I, I and I I think people saying they don't have it because the Devils have tied the series at two. The Devils are a really good team. Like they're not yeah. the Devils of two years ago. Like they're a really goddamn good team. They're they're the higher seat I think in this as well, right? So mm-hmm. the the Rangers thrashed them in games one and two, two five one wins, an OT loss for the Rangers in game three, and a three one loss in game four. Uh, a big game in New Jersey in Game Five will will decide it. But I think if the Rangers get out, um, it's not a it's not an easy run by any means. You got to go through Boston, Toronto, Carolina. You know, one of those teams or two of those teams uh, to make it. But uh, I think they come out there. And honestly, I, I think I'm going to go with the Oilers, man. I think I'm going to go with the Oilers. The Kings are a tough team to beat, and the Oilers are are getting it done. And I look at the rest of these teams: the Crack and the Avs. The stars, the, the the Vegas Golden Knights, like I think the Oilers have enough to get it done. I think the, the Rangers beat them in the Stanley Cup final, but I think the Oilers have enough. I don't have any confidence. I would have say I would say Colorado if they were fully healthy, but no Landis Cog right now. McCarr will be back. He's suspended for this game. No Nachushkin because he's out dealing with some personal problems. They've just been ripped apart. That roster has. Yeah. So I, I give it. I give it to the Oilers, man. I give it to them. the Stars. I think should get a real strong look. Yeah. As the other team who's got a real chance to come out of the West because Jake Ottinger can steal you any game, and the team has gotten better 
And I mean, other than have we heard anything more about Joe Pavelski? No. So other than that, I mean, there's really there's a lot to like on that team. Yeah, I debated you know, heavily I between the Stars and the Oilers, and ultimately just went with you got to go with McDavid and Drysdale, and that you got to go with Connor. And McDavid I just, I just think definitely. grinding through a round one series against LA and being able to get through that against one of the best defensive teams in the league this year, like that's just going to do wonders for them. I think in moving forward, like they they have put up some very impressive games against the Kings to get this done. Close games, they've been able to hang in close games, so I'll, I'll give them credit. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. Well, we made it, man. We made it back. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't sound too uh, too excited. Yeah. That. No, man. I'm glad. I just you know, it's just such a weird thing. The playoffs have been fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NBA playoffs are officially over, so I'm I'm glad. Yeah. That I don't have to worry about that. Go Milwaukee. Uh, beyond that, yeah, man, it's good to see you. Good to uh, get back, and I'm sure we will have more than a few things to talk about and all sorts of dumb ideas to not record uh, over the summer. Yeah, uh, I would say at the earliest, uh, or maybe not the earliest, the most expected time for us to be back is around you know May, either post draft lottery May eighth or May 9th, May tenth. Around then is, is probably the the next time you can definitely expect us to be back. Mm-hmm. Ideally, if we if we can, you know, if something happens before then, or if we can figure out some other shows to do, we'll we'll have one hopefully uh, next week if we can. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say don't get can't get too ahead of ourselves yet. I would expect the next show for sure to be after the draft lottery, breaking down where the Ducks are going to end up picking and. If it's not Bedard or or if it's not one or two in Bedard or Fatili, looking at who they could get at three or just looking at kind of the first round as a as a preview of who uh of who other teams could get. So anyway, thanks for listening guys. Appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us. Anybody who's missed the show, I know I've had a few of you reach out to me. Um I appreciate the support. Glad to be back, glad to be back with, with you, Steven, on the show, doing it again. I missed it a lot, so it's nice to be back. Nice to be uh, back recording shows for you guys, and uh, hopefully we'll be back uh, a lot more this off season, just uh, doing some some fun stuff, some some fun stuff that isn't talking yeah. about how bad the Ducks were this year. No, exactly. So good times ahead, man. I'm glad you're back. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye, everybody. <laughs>